Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Extension, coming at you from Galesburg, Illinois. And we have got quite a show for you today. We are going to be chatting with Emily Zweihart all about derechos and trees and what happens when derechos meet trees, trees meet derechos. And that a pretty picture. So we're going to chat about that. You know, I'm not doing this by myself. I am joined, as always, every week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. I'm excited for today. Find out what happened while I was gone. Yes, while you're on your your cruise uh, out, uh, uh, you know, gallivanting around the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, got lots of texts saying intermittently saying. Jacksonville just got hit with a storm. Can't come walk your dog. I'll come later. But we had no <laughs> idea what was going on. So, <laughs> turns out the dog let herself out when the tree went through the back of the house. But, but no, your your place no. was fine, right? No damage. No damage. A few branches here and there. Can't say the same for some of my neighbors. But yeah, for for our yard, we were we got lucky. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing major. We were we were in the same boat. We just had probably one fairly sizable branch come out of a white ash that was in our front yard. Um, that's the only thing that required real power tools to dismantle. Um, but, but otherwise we were good. So just a lot of little stuff to pick up. Uh, and I just sent the, the little, the little ones out to, to try to do that. And that never worked out. So I did it myself later. Um, but uh, Ken, our colleague, uh, Emily uh, Zweihart, she also, well, she she was also around during the derecho that just happened, but also there was another derecho that happened a few years ago in Iowa where she lives. And so let's bring Emily onto our show. Emily Zweihart, horticulture educator up in the Quad Cities. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, we are happy to have you. And I, Ken and I just swapped stories. Emily, did you um, see uh, much damage that occurred with the most recent? I think they're calling it the Illinois derecho um, that happened the first week of July um, this year, 2023. Um, We were pretty lucky up here in the Quad City area. We did not have much damage. Um, I think we were on the northern edge of it. And so um, luckily, most of our trees and we got a lot of rain, which was needed. but we didn't have the sustained winds like you all did. And so we, we escaped some of that damage this time around. Yeah, I've it, it's only been a couple of weeks since since that's happened. And I almost forgot we were in the middle of a, a significant drought right before that happened. Immediately forgot all about it because uh, we had so much kind of stuff to clean up, lots of power lines down. And then it just has kept raining now. Uh, been kind of a regular rainfall. So we're... Feels like back to normal, at least summer wise. But, um, but Emily, you also experienced a derecho a couple of years ago in Iowa. Um, and so tell us a bit about that event. Um, and, 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 you know, let's let's share stories here. Yeah, sure. Um, wish we didn't have these stories to share. But since we do, we'll go ahead and share them. Um, so my first exposure to the term derecho actually came in 20, um, 2011. So my very early part of my career was working um, in Eastern Iowa and there was a derecho that went through um, Benton County was kind of the epicenter of it, Benton County, Iowa. Um, Benton is one of the biggest towns there. I believe it's the county seat. Um, and But it's a rural part of the state. So I knew 
the term and had been said, but it did not receive the coverage like other um, following storms would have. It, it seemed to just kind of emerge like as a new term in our vernacular. Like it wasn't certainly derechos had happened before, but it just was not um, a weather event that we were familiar with. So uh, witness that um, the aftermath of that event. And like I said, it was more rural. So there were a lot of um, a lot of damage done to like woodland areas, uh, riparian areas, you know, trees in um, like creek corridors broken off, snapped off, a lot of devastation in those natural areas. Communities certainly had damage, um, but they were smaller communities. And so um, we're able to kind of pull resources from different areas and, and recover. And like I said, just didn't get a lot of coverage. And then in the fateful year 2020 on August 10th, um, if you know dealing with the pandemic is not enough, um, Eastern Iowa was hit with you know that infamous derecho. And I was home at the time, as most folks were, and remember being on a call with my colleagues, my work colleagues. One was in Des Moines, and we're good Midwesterners, right? We hear like storm sirens and we're like, probably just a false alarm, probably yep. nothing to get excited about. Go to the front um, porch, see what's happening. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And so it was about 10 in the morning. We were on this call and she'd made a comment like, oh, the sirens are going off. And then it was shortly after when she kind of got that tone in her voice. It was like, I might need to log off to this office call. Like things are happening. Um, and so she actually got off the call. Another colleague of mine was in, um, was just north of Des Moines and he'd already lost power. So he'd already been off the call. We didn't know that's what happened, hmm. um, but he'd already um, experienced some of those early signs of the derecho. It hadn't fully achieved um, like maximum velocity. Um, and then it it proceeded just really quickly move across the state. And so I, I could just see it on the radar, like hit all of my work colleagues that's working in Iowa primarily at that time. So lost power, didn't fully appreciate what had happened because we were quite lucky. We didn't have too much damage. Our sunflowers got knocked over in the garden, which everyone was upset about because they were very, very tall. Um, <laughs> the two ash trees in the backyard that were failing were fine, surprisingly, just kind of a random... I thought maybe for sure that those would would have sustained some damage. A few branches fell out. Um, the failing maple in my front yard, you know, was fine. It was unclear. It was very unclear to me and where I was at immediately after that. It was a there was such damage and devastation caused right away. Um, it didn't take very long to figure out what had happened. You know, text messages started flying around, calls started happening um, because where. Uh, most of my colleagues were headquartered was in Cedar Rapids, and that was the epicenter of that storm. That's where it got hit the hardest, and they sustained winds of, I think it was over 140 miles an hour, and so a lot of damage occurred. So then after that was spent helping people recover, you know, taking calls, trying to do what we could without being in the way. Um, we'll talk about this more, but in the aftermath of a storm like that, there's certain professionals that need to be the frontline responders, and then there's other things that people can do um, you know, to help support those folks and support people that are impacted. But um, we had lost power for over five days at that time. And that was mostly what was challenging to us, you know, was keeping milk cold and cell phones charged so we could be of service to people. Um, our, I, I will share uh, the one that came through Illinois and 
this is what not to do. Um, I was at I was at work at the McDonough Extension office, and uh, we had the tornado sirens go off, and the circuit just circus just so happened to be in town, and they're using the fairgrounds, and so I drove over, told them where to go for sheltering, and then. Um, uh, you know, directed them, this is the safest place to be. And then I, I jokingly thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to die at work. I'm going to drive home. You know what? When the sirens are going off, the best thing, the best place to be is not in a car on the road. Um, thought I had time with the derecho. It is, a, it, it is kind of like you see this wall of clouds and stuff off in the distance, uh, and it moves very quickly. And in my rear view mirror, I watched it um, approach my car and it overtook me. And it was like, I was driving in the middle of the ocean. Um, couldn't really see, uh, through gaps when the windshield wipers were going across the windshield. Uh, I saw the power lines creep down closer and closer to my car on the road, turned off that road, made it home safely. Uh, and then as after it was all over, got out, realized those power lines are now laying on the road. So, I was very lucky to um, to to miss that that uh, that thing there. So don't do that. You hear the sirens, find a safe place to go. Don't hop in your car and say, I think I can make it home because it moves so quickly. Yeah, you can't. Let's see the famous last words right there. <laughs> yeah. So I said, like we mentioned, I was not here, but, you know, we got back several days after so we had just gotten power back we got back monday seven on thursday or we had just gotten power back that day where we live <clears throat> i think some other places in jacksonville wasn't until tuesday wednesday it's almost a week after until they got power back you know, one of our neighbors had a tree in the backyard snap in half and i can put a picture of that here house down the street from us a tree fell on the house and from the outside it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of damage you know a little roof damage but I guess it knocked the building, knocked the house off the foundations. They have to tear it down. And this is an old 100, 120-year-old house that they're going to have to tear down now and stuff. And seeing pictures online, it's, some areas look like a bomb went off. There's just branches and power lines everywhere. Well, that is heartbreaking for those folks that are losing their home. That's um, from my experience and what I've seen so Chris, we didn't mention that we got to experience a tornado when we were in grad school in Kansas. Yes. And that was also a story I don't wish we had. But um, so I've, I've been through tornado um, and I don't think that was, I, not to minimize it, I, it was maybe a two, the F2. Um, and then early in my career was working with a community that had experienced an EF5 tornado. And so like the juxtaposition of the kind of damage that both of these wind events cause is just fascinating. Um, so the derecho, it, like Chris, you said, like is it's a, a shelf cloud that is just pushing across the landscape. It is extremely widespread. Um, by definition, it can be, it's like 60 miles wide, but it travels a distance of 240 miles. So over 14,000 square area or square miles of area are impacted by it. Tornadoes is a much smaller um, locale affected by you know, this event. But from my observation, buildings usually sustain um, minimal damage in a derecho. Like they're, they're still standing, right? People still have houses. There's certainly 
damage that has occurred. A lot of you know rooftops are damaged. Um, with the derecho, we saw a lot of like bins folded in because they were you know, empty in the middle of the you know, end of summer. Um, you know, a lot of, of not not damage to be discounted, but not like life threatening, you know, human displacing um, kind of damage. Tornadoes, on the other hand, take everything out of the landscape. It is just a clean sweep through the landscape. And um, what I've seen, like with the tornado that EF five, it went right through a town that I was working with, and there was neighborhoods on either side of it and just a clear cut swath right through mm -hmm. the middle of town um you know and so to lose a house to the derecho is, is a little bit more unusual but no less heartbreaking for those folks a tornado that we were both in in, in manhattan kansas emily it was pretty amazing no one was was really seriously hurt there because it was a smaller tornado but i remember driving around later on and there were just foundations no buildings where that tornado went through so that was that was pretty fortunate. I, I was very lucky because I think you and I we were both um, sheltering in the library. Mm -hmm. uh, the tornado went right over us, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, right where we park our cars. So I my I I remember this in my head. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. My little blue Toyota Matrix was parked there. On the right side of it, there was a car flipped over on top of another car. On the left side, there was a car with a beam right through the back window. I think one of those was your cars. Just well, it was no beam. It was just my back window had been okay. blown out, and yeah, I remember that car vividly. It was just things like that, like really. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a car to be lifted and put on top of another car. Yep. that is some severe weather. Some strong winds, and so. Um, but my car parked between the two was just fine. <laughs> you won that lottery. I did. <laughs> So we, we we talked a little bit about the like what is a derecho and kind of the difference between a tornado and derecho. Uh, Ken, you since you were off on a cruise and got to skip all this fun, um, your assignment was to read about derechos. And is there anything you want to add to the conversation of what what exactly were we dealing with here um, uh, when it when it comes to the the derecho? Yeah, so I guess I guess the the textbook definition. So this is from NOAA. Um, so is a widespread long-lived storm. Derechos are associated with bands of rapidly moving showers or thunderstorms, variously known as bow echoes, squall lines, or quasi-linear convective systems. It's a calculus term there. Yeah, and, and by definition, uh, the swath of wind damage exceeds extends at least four hundred miles. And is 60 miles wide, uh, includes gusts of at least 58 miles an hour uh, along most of its length, and also includes several well-separated 75 mile an hour or greater gusts. Um, would qualify it as a derecho. And I think we were talking before the show. In some places, we're seeing 100 plus mile an hour winds for this last one that just came through. I think the Quad Cities reported that Hancock County. You mentioned, Emily, there's sort of this epicenter like Cedar Rapids in the Iowa one. Illinois looked like Hancock County was seeing about a sustained 120 mile per hour winds. Um, my neighbor works for the our local power co-op, and I didn't see him for a week. He slept in his truck, and they were in Hancock County because they had miles and miles of power poles just down in the middle of woods, in the middle of farm fields. Um, 
So hundreds and hundreds of, of new power poles had to be installed. I think those folks there, they're without power some over a week. Um, so that, that was tough there. Um, and I think if we go way back into the old history books, a good old Iowa State University uh, sci- meteorological scientist, forgot his name, but he's the one yeah. who came up with derecho. University um, of Iowa. University of Iowa. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. well, never mind. That don't make count. that mistake. Darn it. <laughs> never mind. I, I don't mind Iowa State University, but mm, University Pitch. of Iowa. Pitchforks are coming out now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Sorry. So it was 1888, Dr. Gustavus Heinrichs, professor of physics. Oh, physics. Also from, from NOAA. I don't know all this off the top of my head. NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association of America. I added that last part. Administration. I don't know. Do, do we need to define our, our abbreviated names here? You probably should. That's what people tell me all the time. Administration. Okay. So talking about like, what is a derecho? How it compares to tornadoes? Um, and we, we, we've swapped some of our stories here. Um, I kind of want to go through what happens after the fact, though. Um, we, we've touched on this here with Emily um, now, but but I, I wanted this podcast, maybe at this point, maybe to be a resource to folks that if they've experienced a significant wind event, no matter what it is, you know, what are some things that we can do right after it happens? Things to consider at cleanup. Um, and I, I will just say, having just done this, um, chainsaws are scary. Uh it's a very dangerous tool that anyone can just go buy and use. So um, I just I think chainsaw safety is, is an important thing to consider because when we're dealing with these events and we we first off we protect ourselves during the event, then we come out, it's time to clean up. A lot of people are going to reach for that chainsaw. Uh, even during some hurricanes in Florida, I saw that Home Depot uh, was giving away free chainsaws to people, which terrifies me um so but but anyway chainsaw safety is really important i think it's a topic that it deserves its own uh probably more than just a podcast it's more of like an in-person hands-on demonstration type class um most chainsaw safety instruction has its own special insurance um requires a specific type of instructor that is that dangerous of a of a tool um the only thing that's probably more dangerous is a ladder. And the only thing more dangerous than that is a ladder and a chainsaw. So um, standing on a ladder with a chainsaw, it's a big no-no. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, things to consider and clean up. Well, I'll add to that. I would say, yes, chainsaws are extremely dangerous and scary. Everybody use caution, wear the proper equipment, you know, get trained, call a professional if you are even the slightest bit uncomfortable with operating a chainsaw and um, then ladders. Also that combination is terrifying. After a storm, you might also be having an experience where the wood that you're you're working on is um, like mangled or like under tension. And so if you are cutting wood, I've seen this um, happen where, you know, a tree falls, there's still some of the root zone intact. Um, and I can uh, put a picture here of the tree that I'm thinking of in particular, which is the tree was located next to a driveway and a sidewalk and the root zone had been um, you know, limited and it, it just popped up and it was still in the shape of 
the sidewalk and the, the driveway. So um, chopped up the opposite side of the root ball was still intact and it was still having, it had tension put on it. So think of like a longbow, if anybody is familiar with, you know, like archery, that wood, you bend it, it's it's flexible, especially in green, you know, green trees, green wood, it's, it's still um, wet and can be flexible. So when you're cutting it with a chainsaw and you release, you hit that point that you don't quite know where it's at, you hit that point where it's going to then release and it can flip back up or can flip back and cause um, a lot of human harm. And so really I'll just be very careful. Be careful. I so while our yard sustained little damage, our neighbor's yard, they did have a, a large chunk of their mulberry come down um, and it was still hanging up in the tree. Most of them was on the ground, but it was still hung up in the tree. And so we slowly worked our way, cutting away at the small stuff so that we could expose that point where that energy is loaded into the ground. And then even then, as we started slowly cutting up that bigger uh, branch, it started to twist in ways we were not anticipating. That branch was, we didn't see it because it was way up in the canopy. We couldn't see that it was actually twisted as it was attached to that canopy. And as we took more and more weight off of it, that limb actually, instead of going down, it went up. Um, and we weren't expecting that. And it turned on itself. And that's when, you know, we're like, you know what, let's take a little break and we'll come back to this later um, and, and kind of rethink this. So approach those jobs very slowly. And again, this, if you're at all uncomfortable doing this, wait for a professional to show up. So if there's power lines anywhere near it on the ground or other ones, mm -hmm. don't do it. Don't touch it. Yep. And the other thing that I've, I've definitely seen um, quite a bit of after the fact are the hanging branches that are still up in the tree canopy. And I, the term for this is called widow makers. Uh, it's kind of because the storm's over, you're out there cleaning up and you do not expect for a light gust or something to blow through and start dropping large limbs again. Um, so that that's always something though, to be mindful of is to look up into the canopy Make sure that there's no limbs hanging over your head as you start to clean up uh, underneath. And if there are, um, you know, finding some way to either get them down or avoiding that space uh, or, 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 or making sure that if it falls, you have a clear escape path. That's, that's a big thing, whether you're cutting up wood or you're walking through an area with a lot of debris, you need to be able to have a clear escape path. There's so many times where I've heard of people being hurt because they try to get out of the way and they trip over some debris. and so. Make sure that you know how to get out of a space if you need to in a, in a hurry. Having a spotter is also mm -hmm. really helpful yep. um, in those circumstances. Um, with, um, I like to use analogies to help people understand trees and how they are before they become lumber, because that's ultimately what they become. Like for us, most of us are familiar with lumber. And so when I talk about widow makers or when I'm trying to describe the danger that they can pose to people, you can consider like the weight of a two by four or a six by six, like some of the limbs, like, you know, it can be comparable to what's hanging above your head. And those are heavy pieces of lumber at the hardware store. And those are dried wood. That's dried wood without, um, you know, moisture still in it because it was a little, I'm assuming it was a live tree that people had in the landscape, but um, that 
that weight is significant. And so um, I wish people would not take that for granted. Yep. So we've got a branch. Our neighbor's got a walnut tree. It's hanging over property line. It's got a branch just dangling there. I can throw a picture. We can throw a picture of that in here. Um, yeah, it's it's still dangling there. It's too high to get a pole saw or anything like that. So we've told the kids you're not going that part of the yard. Uh, cut the grass. And I'll, our oldest usually cuts the grass. And I told them you're not cutting the grass over there. I'll do it. And as I'm cutting, I'm just watching the entire time waiting to to jump off, hoping a storm will come through and knock it down for us. And we can reclaim that part of the yard. But until then, it's not going to be off limits. Well, and to that point, I mean, we're talking about the aftermath of a storm. These can exist in the landscape if a storm has not happened to. Like, I know arborists who will not, like when they go camping, it'll be July and 110 degrees, you know, daytime temperatures, not much cooler than that at night, and they will camp out in the middle of a field because the trees, they, they looked at the canopies of the trees. Um, and so I guess I would encourage folks to be aware of these you know, widow makers or these damaged um, hanging limbs. In everyday life, just look up, look up in the tree canopies. Speaking of arborists, so and maybe hanging limbs that are beyond our reach that we might need a little bit of extra help. Now, after a disaster like this, it is going to be difficult to get a hold of a lot of these folks. They're going to be booked out for quite a while. But when you finally do uh, get in touch with, um, you know, some type of tree company, Illinois Extension, we do recommend. Um, uh, you know, trying to stick with certified arborists, um, and you can look up that credential at um, uh, treesaregood.org. You can find them via zip code. Uh, you can look up their credentials through there. Uh, they would be credentialed. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Emily. It's the International Society of Arboriculture, Illinois Arborists Association, um, and I think there's a few more. Yes. Yeah, and if somebody stops by and offers to do some tree work, if they are certified arborists, they would have those credentials on them and be able to present that to you, you know, before any work is done. Um, that would be one of the things that you would want to make sure that they um, have in their possession before you allow them to come on your property and do any sort of work. Um, another would be proof of insurance. Um, you want to make sure that they are um, covered for liability um, and they would have. A, a responsible arborist or company that has arborists would have that in the glove box or in the wallet ready to present um, that information to you. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in these large storm events, especially derechos, like we said, are so impact such a wide swath of area that um, there are some um, unscrupulous you know, people that show up and try to you know earn a quick buck or maybe they're what good you know good intentioned but just don't have the skills or the training to do the work in a safe manner or in um, a proper manner because not only are arborists going to be able to help remove trees or remove limbs that are um, deemed to be um, you know fatal or or not able to conserve they would also have the training to conserve trees because you, in some cases you may not have lost. It might not have been total loss. It might have been um, there were just some you know loss of limbs or a few a few branches that need to be you know pretty technically made clean or um, you know a variety of different 
different scenarios can present themselves. I don't always mean that one pruning cut at ground level is required. And I would say if, you know, if there's some communities out there that there's no arborists around, you, you put your zip code in, there's nobody within 90 miles. So you can make sure you have that insurance, talk to other people, see if they're, you know, if anybody else is using them, if they're known, um, get recommendations from people if you live in an area that doesn't have an arborist and maybe encourage those people that do do tree stuff to maybe become one um, as well. And and we're, uh, Ken, I think you, I, we, we live in areas where it's tough to find a certified arborist. We have a lot of skilled tree workers. They they do a lot better job than than other um as as the urban forestry professor that I know, tree hacks that he would call them, where they top the trees instead of pruning the trees. Um, they they're skilled at this. They make the, the pruning cuts correctly. They know how to do this. This certified arborist, it 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 trains in that and trains in climbing and knots, but it also talks about tree health and assessing tree health. And I think that's another another layer to this of having that certified arborist. And 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 again, as Ken mentioned, if if they're not certified arborist, encourage them to do so uh, or or encourage them, you know, see how proficient are they in, in assessing tree health because it would be terrible to to have the, spend all that money to try to save your red oak when it turns out it has oak wilt uh, and it would have been apparent with someone up there in the canopy doing the pruning if they were trained to be able to identify a disease like that going through the canopy. So um, it's just another thing to consider. Well, and Illinois Extension has a variety of resources available to folks to help them learn more basic knowledge about tree care. And so you can go into those conversations a little better prepared. Uh, you can familiarize yourself with you know, what a proper pruning cut would look like or what um, kind of what questions to ask. And so in the heat of the aftermath of the storm, it can be really hard to take that time to pause and do your own research and become educated. Um, I would encourage folks, if it's not a dangerous situation for the trees, you're, you know, if the trees aren't hanging over their houses or um, if they can pause and, and just become a little bit more well-versed in what proper tree care would look like, then you can engage. And if it's a company you never heard of, they say they're from out of town, do an internet search, see if you can find them and see if there's any reviews online. We, we've discussed kind of that immediate aftermath. Um, cleaning up, working with a certified arborist. What about long-term? Managing these trees long-term um, because we can we can prepare for a wind-related disaster. Uh, obviously, that F5 tornado, that's, that's kind of a different story when that blows through, you know, every tree for themselves. But um, we can prepare some of our trees to, to, to manage some of these wind loads. So, um, Emily, is there anything that we can look at maybe in our existing landscape, shade trees, small trees, that we can be like, hmm, we need to be looking out for these points of weakness? Yeah, so with trees, with most things in life, prevention is the best medicine, right? We want to rear our trees to be structurally sound, well-balanced, um, have a healthy, good vigor so that they're able to withstand, even if they do get damaged, they can you know, compartmentalize um, potential um, decay that would be happening at those, those wound points. Um, they'd be able to withstand and be more flexible. Um, 
when that wind load is being inflicted on the canopy. So with trees, um, especially as they're young, helping them develop you know, a well-balanced form is going to help it's going to help mitigate your risk when a strong wind event happens. Maybe it's not a derecho. Maybe it is just a, a very strong thunderstorm that rolls through the Midwest. We've had those, right? Trees develop with wind and they it helps them build strength and resiliency. So the wind is not the problem. It is oftentimes the sustained amount of wind, the age of the tree, uh, the sh shape and structure of the tree that all kind of compound to see how your tree is going to um, weather a storm. So while trees are little, most of their resources are being put into root development and they're kind of flimsy and their tops aren't like overly robust. They're kind of just sending out, um, many are sending out uh, shoots in all, all directions just to get some leaf material to feed the roots. And they're developing this, this um, recovering oftentimes from transplant and developing those widespreading root systems. Make sure your trees have enough root system, enough area to expand their roots. Like that's what's holding our trees up. And I think it's especially hard in our urban environments to accommodate the root zone and make sure that there's enough um, space and then the, the soil is um, adequate enough to allow roots to penetrate through, right? So compacted soils are going to, even if there's you know a whole block full of you know, soil available, if it's a compacted soil, the roots are gonna have a really hard time expanding into it. So when you're planting trees, when you have, um, you know, relatively small, young trees, doing things to the soil to help make sure that those roots are, um, are developing. As trees age, they kind of shift their focus from um, developing the roots and they, they they kind of shift and, and become more canopy focused, a little bit more um, intent on actually creating leaf material. I don't think I need to tell you guys, leaves are, or trees are living beings. They do have, uh, they do age out over time. And so it's just, it's a, it's a shifting of allocated resources. They have enough root system for the relative size that they are, or it's not going to be um, advantageous for them to keep expanding their root system. They they have access to enough water you know, um, and nutrients, and then they are firm in their location. Or they've maxed out the space that they already have. Um, I'm thinking of like street trees. <laughs> they just have so much space and they're there. And so then they shift to, to their canopy. What this means for us as managers of the trees is that smaller trees are more likely to break in wind events because they have not invested in that really hard, um, strong internal wood structure. That older trees do, so they can snap. Um, in particular, if like they are staked or tied you know, too tightly, we've seen a lot of trees just um, the trunk is still standing and the canopy has snapped off because a tie had been left on too long or it had created a wound um, point, a weak point on the tree. Of the wind took that sail, you know, of a canopy and grabbed hold of it and snapped it off. Older trees are more prone to wind throw, where they would uproot because the top can withstand and it's been growing and developing um, with wind and it's been adapting to tolerate wind, but the root systems then have started to decline or they're not able to um, support the full canopy any longer because it's reached like the maximum size. And so that's one of the difference we see a lot of times in these storms is that smaller trees will break, they'll have you know, um, limb damage, older trees, 
um, unless they have really limiting structural, I'm thinking of, of um, like multiple branch angles. A lot of times you'll see larger trees, they won't even uproot, they'll just drop a whole limb, which is um, oftentimes fatal for the trees. But um, if it is a single leader, if it's got good structure, even older trees will sometimes, or are more prone to um, uproot. And so that's when the whole tree comes down. Prevention for that, or there's there's research that we're starting to um, see come out, especially with older trees, is what do you do to help minimize that impact? Like um, one of the previously um, assumed practices was to thin the canopy. So what research is, is showing, and this is where you call an arborist who is trained in this, but if you have a tree that is of concern for you and you know in a wind event and you really want to save it, um, call an arborist ahead of time, build that relationship with them. And there is a um, a break-even point or a return on investment when you clear the canopy. There's a, it's around like the, um, I want to say like 40 kind of percent point where before that, you're causing more damage to the tree. Like you're putting it at greater risk for wind throw, but then after it is actually helping to redirect and, and shift that wind pattern within the canopy so that then it can be seen. So it's, this is not for the layperson. Honestly, like I'm not even sure I understand the whole physics of it because that's what it is. Um, but just know that there's emerging research and um, it's important to protect these trees in our communities because of the value that they give, um, as well as the damage that they can cause if they fall. Um, and so that's one thing people can do. We just call an arborist before um, and these events happen. I equate it to kind of a, a checkup on your trees. Um, if if you have these routine visits from a certified arborist, it can help in in kind of hopefully some preventative uh, maintenance there when it comes to to wind loads and things like that. And if you ever want to see two uh, certified arborists get into an argument, just bring up cabling and bracing, um, and you will as long as they're ones on one side of the ar uh, argument there, the others are on the other. Uh, two differing things where. Um, you know, cabling, bracing, that's driving a rod, metal rod sometimes to to hold together a, a split trunk or uh, tying uh, a brace or a cable around. Um, that's fun. Yeah, go to an arborist convention and just drop that and see what happens. The definition of fun is mine also, but I suspect that maybe <laughs> it's not everyone's. I've been kicked out of a lot of conferences before, so. <laughs> And there are some trees that are a bit more problematic um, when it comes to some of that growth and development. Um, I particularly have seen a lot of silver maples. I don't think silver maples, it's not like it's a bad tree. It's good, especially in riparian or, or, or wet type areas out in nature. But boy, they planted a lot of those in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, and right now, all of those trees, those silver maples, are um, they're done. They're ready to come out of the landscape. And I see a lot of failure happen with silver maples. Um, calorie pear, that's another one of those where I'm just like, I'm, I'm so happy for fire blight when it shows up and takes out a calorie pear because then you know that person's not gonna have to deal with half the tree dropping on their house. So um, the fire blight will just take it out for them. Yeah, and the trees that you just mentioned amongst many others, I'm thinking of like Little Leaf Linden, um, Honestly, I would add a lot more maples to that list. They, yeah. When put into a landscape, they develop this um, like very multi-stem leader, 
your canopy. Like they don't have a strong central leader naturally. And so if they're not pruned to have that, and that is um, generally accepted as one of the, the best structures for a tree to withstand, um, just to be, to be a, a withstand wind events, ice storms, to have the strongest branching um, unions. Um, have, have that single trunk, that yeah. single leader. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And there is some, there's some new research that's starting to challenge that a little bit because some of these trees don't have that form. You know, I'm thinking of like elms or uh, honey locusts. They have that more vase shape. And the newest research is showing that it's not necessarily that single leader, but it's the the angle at which the branches are configured. And so between 45 and 90 degrees of a, a branch meeting a trunk is going to be a stronger union than say like our calorie pairs have, which are like 15 to 30 degrees. They're just very tight angles. I'm using my hands for anybody that's on the podcast. It's just very narrow. And what that does is that leads to um, um, included bark and rot and decay creates an environment where then those trees can, can fail. I, calorie pairs, I like to say, they'll, they'll sometimes just drop one of these seeds next to them. They're, yeah. It's just a very weak branch angle. And so um, when you have sustained wind gusts of over 100 miles an hour, that's pretty problematic. That's that's a failure point. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. With um, I'm going to go back to the prevention. One other thing I wanted to mention um to folks is that when large storm events go through like this and they've lost some trees, but maybe not all of their trees, long term, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to observe the trees that remain, keep an eye on them, um, track their progress, track their health. One way that it is, um, my memory is not what I wish it was. So I like to take pictures of my landscape um, periodically. Seasonally would be great. If you want to do it weekly, that's even better. Um, Annually at minimum, so that you can see and and record those changes over time. You can track if a a tree is starting to show signs of stress or if it's starting to fail or if it's just not, um, you know, leaching out or growing at the rate that it maybe was before. And you you can kind of see See what's happening over the course of you know, the next you know, years of that tree's life. Then you can respond and be um, a little bit more proactive. When you lose trees or when you change the landscape around a tree, in this instance, we're talking about the loss of trees. If you were to lose or take out a building next to some of your trees, you're, ex- you're increasing the exposure. And so those trees have not grown and developed being exposed to that wind. So um, you know, say a windbreak comes out and all of a sudden your maple is now being exposed to, um, you know, strong winds coming across the landscape. That makes it more prone um, to failure or to suffer some negative consequences um, as a result of that landscape change. Uh, same thing with the root zone. If you put in a driveway or you build a building next to a, a tree, any landscape changes can impact tree health. And so monitoring that um, you know, like I said, whether we have another derecho or not, I hope we don't. But um, you know, we do have wind in the Midwest, and we do have other storms too. We haven't talked about other types of um, event, uh, weather events that would impact trees. But just watch your trees, take care of them. I think as far as derechos go, I think I saw a map where Illinois is in the one a year area. Typically, have one every year. Somewhere. That's not great news. No, Ken. Ouch. <laughs> so Illinois, Indiana, Southern Missouri, 
southern Wisconsin, Michigan is in the yeah, one ratio every year. There's parts of Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma that are four ratios every three years. Wow. Iowa and a little further in that area, one ratio every two years. So there's a this is on the NOAA website. We can put a link to that in that show yes. notes and you can look at that map yourself if you want. I need to start a tree care company. <laughs> better get certified and better get your insurance. That's right. Have that um, in the glove box. Yep. Yep. We've talked quite a bit about your know, tree care and, and the trees themselves. Do you mind if we mention what it does to people? Because um, especially after what I witnessed in Cedar Rapids and that extreme loss of trees, and this goes to derechos, but also um, like emerald ash borer, the loss of a lot of our um, trees that way, um, oak wilts. I've seen entire um, landscapes be devastated you know, when oak wilt shows up. Just that this um, extremely large scale loss of trees or the loss of a singular specimen that is extremely meaningful to you as an individual can cause um, emotional distress. And I want to give people permission and, and I want you to be seen that that's a real thing that we experience as people who care about the landscape. Um, there's actually a term for it called um, solastalgia, which is a mental, emotional, or spiritual reaction to an individual group or community um, to negative transformation of the environment. Um, you know, it can be short, like short-lived, or or it can last for a very long time. When we lose trees, those are very old specimens, oftentimes decades old, sometimes hundreds of years. If they're really beautiful trees and um, it changes your whole landscape. I was telling you guys before that we, you know, before we started recording that in Cedar Rapids, I was hearing stories of people who didn't even recognize their community. Like they could not navigate the streets back to their houses because the landscape changed so much. Um, and that's devastating to have your entire, like all the familiarity of your landscape change in a matter of minutes. Um, and so it just, I don't want it to be, I guess I also don't want to end this podcast on like a sad note. Like there's hope our landscape, you know, and our, our trees and, and the ecosystem recovers and rejuvenates and we can help it do that with tree planting efforts by um, advocating for the community um, forests that we still have by supporting um, all the land managers becoming educated ourselves. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do um, moving forward, but we also should acknowledge this. It can be really hard. There's a mourning period um, for some folks that I've seen. Um, I've experienced many of these things that are really meaningful, and so um, that's a part of this the derecho experience as well. Uh, that's a really good point, and it, you, you had mentioned how Emily trees when you alter their environment they respond differently to these situations. And so just remembering that the trees, the people, they're all part of this community. People support each other. Trees also support each other. Um, and so that's why our urban canopy is so important, making sure that when these events happen, we can come back in, replant and reforest our urban areas. Um, and then um, for all my, my prairie people out there, and we'll also put some more prairie in there too. So don't think I'm forgetting about you tall grass prairie folks. I know there's people saying like more prairie, 
I got you. I hear you. Um, knocking on my door right now. So, um, but more of these natural spaces here that that allows not only for trees to support each other, trees to support other trees, humans support other humans, but for that that natural space to support our human emotions as well. So that's I think that's an important part. Um, good way to end the podcast. Good way to end the show. Um, so that was a lot of great information about what to do after a derecho or windstorm of your choice blows through your neck of the woods. Um, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension and edited this week by me, Chris Enroth. Special thank you to Emily Zweihart for being on the show today, sharing uh, the Iowa derecho with us, uh, your experience with that, and some really timely advice on dealing with storm damaged trees and managing trees for the future. Thank you, Emily, for being on the show today. Well, it was my pleasure. And I, my heart is with everyone that's suffering, you know, in the direct aftermath of this recent derecho. It, we're thinking of you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And, and a special thanks to Ken Johnson for being with me. As always, he didn't leave to go back to Florida, folks. I, it's hard to keep this guy in Illinois anymore. He just wants to go to Florida all the time. Not sure it might be the alligators uh, that, that keep drawing him back there. But Ken, thanks for sticking around in Illinois. The alligators and the bugs. It's a strong pool. <laughs> really is. But weather's too gross down there. So, oh, yeah, thank you, Emily, for being on. And uh, as always, thank you, Chris. And let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. Ken, I have been inspired by our conversation today. Next week, let's talk about planting new trees, what to do and what to prepare for for 2024 it's going to be the year of the cicada folks and we have to get our newly planted trees ready for that there's a there's a big wave of bugs coming next year so we'll talk about that next week listeners thank you for doing what you do best and that is listening or if you're watching this on youtube watching and as always keep on growing